The date is Friday, June 18th, and you're listening to Entertain This, a thought-provoking podcast encapsulating all things entertainment. In this episode, we're throwing it all the way back to one of the oldest stories written, Homer's The Odyssey, and how it connects to the classic film, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Both are timeless classics that are laid out on the premise of something called The Hero's Journey. So go ahead and listen in, be our hero, and enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another fantastic episode of your favorite podcast on the internet, encapsulating all things entertainment, entertainers. 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 As always, I'm Alex. I'm Michael. And I'm Nick. And I didn't forget a goddamn thing this week. (laughs) (laughs) I'm exhausted. I forgot a part? No, you didn't. All right, Welcome to Entertain chill. This, everyone. I'm Nick. Uh, today we'll be talking about whatever Michael wants to talk about. He Hi. never so, takes uh, the wheel here. Whoa. Whoa. Is that supposed Get to be cold open? Lane, or like... buddy. This is my cold <laughs> open. This is like that weird Simpsons intro when they like had Rick and Morty like crash into the, <laughs> into the living room and like all the we Simpsons the probably died. I don't know. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that was, that, was, that was weird. Do you have like a cold open, Nick? Do you have like a legit cold open? Do I have to do like a monologue about current events or anything or? No, that'll work. We did it. That was the cold yeah. open All just right, now. Cool. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I figured we let Alex talk for another five minutes about, you know, whatever he wants to talk about. If you want to All do right. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, mean, I, don't, I don't run the show. Okay. I'm not a showrunner. I know that that's, that's somebody else's job. I know that Chloe is our showrunner as well as our fact checker, and for that mm-hmm. reason, to our audience, she probably seems like a really good egg. But she did, yeah. she did have me sneak into a movie this week. <gasps> so, Ooh. Chloe, if you're listening, tisk tisk, uh, you, the law. you made me, the law. you made me do a bad boy thing. Uh, actually, it was my idea, and it was because the movie that we had bought tickets to was accidentally in a different uh, movie theater, like across town. So we just walked in and we saw the conjuring and it was really great anyway this is michael's week so that's enough about talking about my outlaw <laughs> acts uh let's there talk he, about there he is. let's talk about what michael wants to talk about uh michael i'm gonna throw this mic over to you after having snatched it from nick's sweaty grasp because he had <laughs> he had taken my it away from me oh, he had taken so away my my throne oh. so he here here he Oh, why is it sticky? Ooh. I don't know. I don't Nick, know. what do you do? Don't touch our mics no ever again. <laughs> it's a really good jelly sandwich, let me tell you. All right. All right. Well, first let me just say it's good to be back. Took a week off last week, and it's always a great time when I get to talk to y'all, to you boys. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we didn't even mention the fact that you were MIA last week, but mm-hmm. uh, luckily our yeah. showrunner Chloe stepped up. She stepped in uh, and she she wrote she wrote it out with us. So we yep. are forever grateful for her for that. Yeah, I watched. I actually watched last week's episode, and you all did a fantastic job. Oh, wow. come on! Don't lie to us. He likes uh, okay, us. I didn't watch it. Yeah, see, <laughs> that was the lie. You liar! <laughs> no, I did. I did. I did. It was good. It was yeah. good. <laughs> I don't even know what to All expect right, anymore. But moving on to today. Uh, first, I want to take a note from your all's books. I want to start off by asking you a question. Oh, what no. the hell? Not a rhetorical <laughs> one. Uh, hold on. So in this episode, Nick has taken my cold open. Michael has taken mm-hmm. the starting the episode with a question. What What do I have? What's me? <laughs> you it's all just Michael? crumbling away. I don't know. <laughs> All right. The Kentucky y'all is flowing. Oh, yeah. (laughs) What the hell does that even mean? (laughs) Um, But anyway, so I want to ask you two. Yeah. You all both know the famous book, Homer's Odyssey, right? Yeah. I've actually read that book. Yes. Oh, wow. Good. Is that Uh, different from the Odyssey? Like the Odyssey? Homer the is the guy thing. who wrote it. So it yeah, is he wrote the Iliad Homer's and the Odyssey. Book, the Odyssey. Got it. Not yes. Homer Simpson, by the way. We should note mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but I, w- I want to ask you, too. Why is the Odyssey something that we even still talk about today? Like, why is it still even? Why is it important? Nick, you're educated. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do have two college degrees. That is true. None of them are in literature. I'll note that right off the bat. But uh the reason why Homer's Odyssey is still talked about today is not only because 
it's a classical piece of literature from a long time ago that still survives today. That mm-hmm. in and of itself is something to, um, to be notified of, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it, it's, I think it's written off an actual historic event or it's inspired by one. Um, but it's, it's the basic, I don't want to say it's coming of age, but the, you'll get into the plot, I'm sure. But the, the, the gist is that this guy goes away for a long, long time mm-hmm. and he goes to fight a war or be in, on a ship for a long time in the Navy or something like that. Um, without the village people this time. And he comes back and oh, that he was finds a joke. that his... That was a joke yeah, that you just tried to joke. tell. It just it went by joke. so fast that it sounded like mm-hmm. a fact, but it was actually a joke. <laughs> not, a, not, Yeah, it's not a fact. He okay. had nothing to do with the village people. But anyways, he comes back and his wife has moved on. He's uh, The wife is like seeing another guy at this point. So um, as to why it's still significant and talked about today, I really couldn't put... I couldn't, I couldn't give you one solid answer, but I can give you a list of reasons as to gotcha. why it, it might be. Yeah. Um, and so I, th- I think that's one of the really cool things about it is like it, it really has done a lot. So like uh, some of the few things that I know of from just taking like AP English in high school yeah, uh, is like you said, it's one of the oldest forms of written text that we still have available today. Uh, mm-hmm. It's something like nearly 3000 years old. Um, May I take and- a, a quick stab? at, at something i believe if i'm not mistaken that it is one of the first instances of the trope of the hero's journey oh boy hero's journey that's what it is oh boy are you correct i couldn't remember the thing <laughs> wow. uh, which is like it's like a like 16 or 7 it's like a whole bunch of steps but all of these steps make up like what is known as the hero's journey and they're all mm-hmm. very specific um mm. yeah and yeah exactly it and it's because of that that makes it one of the most influential stories ever told. We mm. wouldn't have so many of our favorite movies, books, plays, even songs or any form of really entertainment. Like we owe a lot of them to this nearly 3000 year old poem. Mm. Um, and one of the most entertaining, but not nearly as important works that I wanted to kind of cover alongside of this is a movie directly inspired by it. Kind of. Uh, one of my favorite movies of all time, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Mm. So mm. first I want to ask, have you two ever seen it? I want to say yes. I've seen parts of it. It's one of those movies that have like shown up on TV and I've watched mm-hmm. like 20 minutes of the beginning and like 20 minutes of the end and like 10 minutes here and like five minutes there. Um, yeah but it's not one that like I've sat down and watched all the way through. Yeah. It's a, it's a very like meme and quotable movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and like, and I've probably seen it. Yeah. Can you, yeah, remind me, is it the one with the uh, George kind of set in the 1930s? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's set song. in like uh depression era, Mississippi. Is this, okay. that, is this that one that has the line where it's like, uh, that man down the street says that he'll give you five cents if you sing in his can. Yep. <laughs> I That's love that. That's the one. Okay. All yeah. right. Yep. It is That's extremely it. memeable. You're right. Yep. It's <laughs> got like quote it? after quote after quote. It's got like, damn, we're in a tight spot. <laughs> Happens multiple times over and over again. How's mm-hmm. my hair? Because uh, he's bona fide. Um, mm-hmm. It's yeah. And alongside of that. It has just an immaculate soundtrack to go along with the setting. The entire thing is like uh, old South uh, folk and like soul music, which is just oh, yeah. it warms it warms the heart up. Um, and uh, let's see. Yeah, so just a second ago, we started talking a little bit about the hero's journey, and mm-hmm. it's something that we've talked about on the show before, but I just wanted to give like a quick little recap of what it is. Um, not going into like all the fine details or whatnot, but it's yeah. a, kind of like a sort of story template that involves some hero who goes on some kind of adventure, encounters some major crisis, whether that be like external or internal, uh, and eventually comes home and is a completely changed person for good or yeah. bad. Mm. Um, the Odyssey takes us on this path following the titular Odysseus, uh, a man who is shown to be impatient and puts pride above all else. Um, let's see. Uh, the Odyssey takes us on this path following him. Uh, we follow sales. He attempts to return home to Ithaca, 
where he will reassert himself as its king following the Trojan War, which is covered in the kind of prequel poem, the the Iliad. Um, immediately after this, and after a skerfuffle uh, with a cyclops, uh, say Odysseus, that word one more time. Skerfuffle, <laughs> love it. Yep, skerfuffle <laughs> and scuffle. You just yep, I mm-hmm. like that. It's nice. Uh, <laughs> After the the skerfuffle with a cyclops, (laughs) (laughs) Odysseus and his crew are blown off course uh, from their journey home by the sea god Poseidon, Mm -hmm. unable to return home for up almost 10 years. Uh, Mm -hmm. During this time, Odysseus learns in his absence, many suitors have taken up residence in his home, attempting to win the affection of his wife, Penelope. No! Uh, We then follow Odysseus' journey as he grows into a more patient man, one who's able to put aside his pride, even reducing his stature to that of a beggar, all uh, to be together with his wife once more. We love that. Um, Now, in O Brother, Where Art Thou? We follow a very similar character, Everett, a quick-talking, very self-absorbed con man who tricks his two fellow inmates that they are uh, joined together by lock and chain because they were on a chain gang, uh, mm. convinces them to come with him on a journey to find a treasure, a treasure that he buried uh, in the dirt that is now sunken below a flooded lake. Now, uh, who is Pete that? Delmar, Robert Downey Jr. Really? Yeah. And this Damn. is really the role that made me fall in love with Robert Downey Jr. as an actor. Yeah, it is just such a different performance compared to any other uh, performance he's ever given. Mm-hmm. And it just it lights my heart up. It makes me feel good just to hear him talk. Uh, and then, yeah, so we've got Pete and Delmar, his companions, who are not quite so mentally equipped <laughs> as ever it is. Um <laughs> We follow them as they journey through Depression-era Mississippi as they try and escape from this chain gang. Unbeknownst to Pete and Delmar, Everett is trying to make his way back home to be reunited with his wife and his six children, his six baby girls. Hmm. So we can already see like the similarities between the two. Mm-hmm. Uh, even in, I believe even in the beginning of the movie, it even says inspired by the Odyssey. Um yeah, and it's not Robert Downey Jr., it's George Clooney you're thinking of if we're talking Sorry. about Over the yeah. Art Thou. Our fact right. checker is, she was Should so I play happily- Should music before that? I'm sorry. Nope. She <laughs> yep, was so you're happily right. casted in her dream show, so she is currently at rehearsals for that. Yeah. Uh, she is duly missed, obviously, but mm-hmm. the, mm-hmm. the yep. role, I guess, will be uh, played tonight by <laughs> Nick Mustakangas. Awesome. Wonderful. Yeah, I, di- I didn't think Robert Downey Jr. tracked that movie because, like, I was thinking of the guy and then I was thinking about his face and mm-hmm. it wasn't Robert Downey It wasn't I Iron think Man. Robert Downey Jr. would have been just as good. A good replacement, yes. But George Clooney's got the part. George Clooney's. Sorry, yeah, that's what I meant. I just thinking of pretty pretty guy with dark pretty hair. Pretty boy. Pretty yeah. boy, yeah. dark hair boy. <laughs> um, yeah, and then so we have his companions, Pete and Delmar, who are played by John... Turturro. Uh, He's the goofy and, guy from Holes. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then Delmar is played by Tim Blake Nelson. Um, mm. An unknown which, third actor. Well, so he... Just kidding. He was <laughs> also much. in um, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which... Oh, he was. Yeah, which he, he was Buster Scruggs. Um, That's the guy. Yeah, and one of the things that... Uh, ties the two together is they're both made by the same people. Uh, the the Cohen brothers. Oh, how about that? Yeah. So the Cohen brothers, like... Guys, I'd we're always... doing so bad this episode. What are you talking about? <sighs> Chloe, Uh-oh. we need you to come back as soon as possible. Tim Blake <laughs> Nelson <laughs> was the guy from Holes. The oh, other guy fl- yeah, is the guy flip. who I don't know. Yeah. We're doing so bad. <laughs> awesome (laughs) we need our fact checker back anyway no we're fine no we're doing great let's keep this ball rolling sweet um i haven't seen holes in a long time so i was just kind of like yeah totally yeah he he sure is in holes yeah (laughs) right 
Um, Stanley but Yonis. yeah, so the Coen brothers, they uh, wrote, produced, directed, yada, 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 that whole kitten caboodle, um, yep. which like the Coen brothers have written and made some of my favorite movies. Um, mm-hmm. The Big Lebowski. Yep. Incredible movie. <laughs> such uh, no movie. Country for Old Men. Another one. Uh, yep. Fargo. Fargo. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Um, yeah. the, the all very very Scruggs different is uh super popular within the stock market meme community right now because <laughs> it's that uh it's that clip of james franco where he's being hung and he looks at the guy and he's, <laughs> oh, and first he's time, like huh? first time huh and one of the memes is like uh me watching tesla fall like over 300 percent in the market today <laughs> newbies who just like elon musk and just threw 100 bucks in and it's like first time huh First time. That's <laughs> hilarious. Oh my god. So, um, so yeah. So we're following this group of people as uh, Pete and Delmar attempt to follow Everett uh, after Everett tricks them into following him for his own selfish desires. Mm-hmm. Essentially, where we've come now. Um, through this journey, they encounter a blind prophet who gives them a lift along the railway. Uh, it yep. tells them stories of that they will find a treasure, but not the one they are seeking. Uh, they it was friendship all along, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> was it though? Um, they encounter a cyclops, uh, which ends up being uh, played by, and I'm actually looking it up this time to make sure I get it. John Goodman uh, mm-hmm. as the character Big Dan Teague, a Bible salesman who also shares a lot of similarities to Everett. Uh, they're both mm-hmm. quick talking con men. Um, and they also encounter a, uh, a black guitarist. They pick up alongside the road. Uh, and he, who, who apparently the night before sold his soul to the devil in order to play the guitar better than anyone else. Oh, wow. Love that. Yep. And so, um, it's through this that we end up seeing a lot of these similarities with the, uh, the Odyssey. Um, Another example that we have is around the halfway point of the movie, um, the the crew encounter uh, along their travels from the road, the sound of women singing in the distance. Oh, Oh, sirens. Yep. Singing the song, go to sleep, little baby. Uh, You, me and the devil make three. Mm -hmm. Uh, They bring them along following uh, Pete as he jumps out of the car. And they essentially get them drunk, uh, make them go to sleep. And then they drag Pete off to uh, somewhere that we don't know. Um, It's really only revealed to us that the idea that he was possibly turned into a frog uh, that (laughs) that Everett and Delmar keep with them in order to try and keep safe. All righty then. Yeah. (laughs) And it's throughout this entire journey that we get a lot of ideas about these people. Um, from the get go, we're given the we're presented with the whole idea that these people are from a chain gang. They've obviously committed some crimes mm-hmm. uh, in general. We can kind of see them as like they're generally not good people. Uh, now, Pete and Delmar, definitely more of the kind of like. Naive, dumb type, uh, yeah. wherever it you can tell he has earned his spot where he's at. Uh, at no point are we ever given like any idea what they did to get there purposefully left up to being ambiguous. Uh, but in general, it's like the beginning of Skyrim where it's just like, Oh good. You're yep. a win. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good exactly. Game. I like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we're, we're just presented with the idea that these are just not good people in the same way that Odysseus is not presented as a good person. And even tracking throughout, uh, the history around when it was written in Greece, uh, Odysseus was seen as a hero. Uh, he was seen as someone who was coming home to claim his land, someone who was a war hero uh, in the Trojan mm-hmm. War. Whereas mm-hmm. the writing, uh, as people read it when it was the Roman Empire, um, Odysseus was seen as an anti-hero. Uh, he, they didn't value that, uh, that, that pride, that war-like mentality anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. Or no, they they still did value it, but like because he diverges from that and becomes a changed man, they see that as not necessarily the best thing. The whole oh, so like, the opposite might is so, right. Yeah, gotcha. Oh. 
So they see him as an anti-hero because he goes from being what they consider to already be perfect through mm-hmm. this character change that yep. makes him unperfect to them. Yep, exactly. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because back then, you got to remember, like, when people signed up for the Roman army, that was a life a life gig. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you either died on the battlefield or you just, you just you know, stayed a general throughout your entire life. So good thing to note there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and so we've got this parallel between Odysseus and Everett. Um, now, throughout this entire thing, we watch as uh, Delmar and Pete, uh, they they come to terms very quickly with it. They are like needing redemption. They need to be saved. They aren't smart enough to be able to. Uh, mm. Sorry, that just triggered something in my head. There's that like really famous Bible story about the, um, <laughs> about the two thieves who are, uh, who are put on the cross with Jesus. Like mm-hmm. there was oh, yeah. Jesus on one side and then the two thieves and, um, I don't know. Don't this just, names, I don't think every yeah. time mm-hmm. that I hear like three people and then two of them want redemption. I immediately think of this story. Yeah, I can see. I don't that. know if I find more parallels. I'll let you know. Uh, <laughs> all right. We always like to bring up the Bible somehow. I don't know how that happens, but it just, <laughs> well, does, I mean, okay? it makes sense for in, in this I instance, mean, because like we're talking about like a story that happens in depression era Bible belt. Yeah. And it's like, and it's like, constantly referenced when it comes to things in entertainment that are often like, used as reference points when writing the bible is one of them like the story mm-hmm. of christ the story of a martyr um like you'll see a lot of christ it's called the christ figure it's like a thing yeah. in in storytelling where there is a christ figure and it's supposed to represent either like religion or sacrifice or something along that nature but when it comes to entertainment like the bible is huge it's almost unavoidable yeah. just like it's almost <laughs> unavoidable uh, to talk about the hero's journey when you're talking exactly. about stuff like this. Yeah, the just only, like, really the yeah. only book that has been more influential than the Odyssey has been the Bible. Just kind of. So goes if we're in the in business hand. of talking about entertainment, like <laughs> that's future episode? Question mark? <laughs> no, we will, we will not be doing an episode on the Bible. Bring we're not my, that uh, kind James of podcast. Edition, start thumping it. There Ladies sure, and gentlemen. <laughs> there are for sure podcasts out there that are about that, and we suggest that if you're looking for that, you go find it there. Thanks. <laughs> stop and listening good now. night. <laughs> oh. Just stop. <laughs> Anyways, so we've got uh we've got Pete and Delmar. Uh they are two people looking to be saved, whether that's by the hand of Everett or some other means. Um about halfway through the movie, we come to a scene where uh, Everett, Delmar, and Pete are all standing alongside the river. Uh, as they are, a clergy of uh, church members comes down the shoreline to be baptized. Uh, upon mm. seeing an opportunity presenting itself, uh, Pete and Delmar both jump at the immediate opportunity to be quote-unquote saved. Um mm. The entire time Everett is kind of chiding them and ridiculing them for believing in such nonsense, uh, for uh, looking for some means other than themselves to make the world essentially make sense. Um, Mm. They immediately upon being baptized, exclaiming to everyone there and around that they are saved, that they are no longer bad people. And this comes up multiple times throughout the story. with when they meet the uh, black guitarist, which let me get his name real quick. So I stop referring to him as that. Uh, <laughs> yes. Jimmy Hendrix. Tommy Johnson. Tommy Johnson, <laughs> okay, which is that. actually referenced a, uh, which is actually like a, a reference to a blues musician of the same name who also claimed that he had sold his soul to the devil for his guitar skills. Mm. Okay. Uh, they pick up Tommy Johnson and uh, <laughs> Everett makes the claim that he's the only one at this point who's unaffiliated, given that his two companions have sided with God and Tommy Johnson has sided with the devil. He's the Uh, middle ground. Yep. (laughs) That's funny. Well, that's the thing about him, though, is that he has sided with, like, a greater force, but Mm -hmm. instead of looking for it, because he says it to him, like, instead of looking for it in God or looking for it in the devil, like, he he is his own God. He has signed his soul away to him. And he really does see himself like that. And that's um, his like, individual. That's his major flaw. I mean, that's what makes him the anti-hero. 
Yeah. And that's what starts his entire journey off in the first place is he mm-hmm. believes in himself so much that he convinces two dumber people that would be, that are looking to be saved that he is their savior. A lot of cults have started under stupider means. Mm, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're not wrong. Um, but throughout this journey, we are also presented with other forces that are also evil. This is where mm-hmm. it kind of comes into play, this idea of moral relativism. Are you too familiar with the term? No. That's kind of like... Uh, well, it is, it is what it is, right? It's looking yeah, at... I had to break it down by words, yeah. It's probably yeah. like... <laughs> it is what it it's is. It's probably <laughs> your morality is based off of like your situation what's and your you? perspective yeah. of yeah, what's going on. It's yeah. it's all about like whether something is moral or not when being compared to something else. So it's yeah. one of those things where it's like you look at like a high school bully or something like that. Not a good person. You compare that person to, I don't know, say... Hitler. God damn oh, they it. look like a good person. <laughs> <laughs> he said the H word. <laughs> they look like a much better person. Oh, yeah, they look like we Jesus. Need a, I mean. We need a better bad person who isn't like a, a mass murderer. Uh, uh, if you guys have stolen. any suggestions, uh, no, please let us know. We need like a pop culture uh someone to, it's, it's just so to easy him. everyone knows that that is like oh yeah bad guy immediately let's yeah. just say like emperor palpatine great well he's not great really. it wasn't even hard <laughs> listen the empire didn't do anything wrong okay you shut your whore mouth <laughs> it's true yeah i think that that's a good jumping off point is that i i would sell my soul uh for michael's voice specifically if I could get yeah. those deep basses, the deep basses. If, if my podcast <laughs> voice could sound as good as Michael's, then maybe we'd get more than two viewers. <laughs> then you just have me in the middle with my like, I don't know, what would you call it, baritone? <laughs> if that. <laughs> um, but kind of it's along mid-range. that lines, it, one of the big things that's kind of played out throughout the movie is like, what would you do for what you want? Um, yeah. Like what do you for, do for a conduct bar? Yeah, yeah, I know. And like for Tommy Johnson, like his whole shtick is like, he, he, like they even ask him, like, so you sold your everlasting soul, uh, like you gave that up just to play guitar well? And he's like, yeah, I wasn't doing anything else with it. <laughs> like, like, why do I need it? <laughs> yeah, so it's one of those things. Like, how, what are you willing to give up to get what you want? Uh, for right. Everett, it is essentially a condemnation on his life because. By escaping the chain gang and attempting to be back with his family, he's essentially sentencing himself to uh, prison if he ever gets caught. Uh, Yeah. And with that, he's so willing to take these two poor sodden souls along with him. Uh, And it's even highlighted upon the fact is that uh, Pete, when they escaped from the chain gang, was only only had two more weeks of his sentence, but was willing to (sighs) give that up. Uh, based on the promises of this treasure. Yeah, I mean, think of the comparison between like giving your soul up to Satan and giving your like um, self-sustainability or your individualism up to like these other two men. Like he wanted to escape Mm -hmm. prison so bad that he decided like, I'm going to give up the one thing that I love, which is myself and being self-reliant to escape this prison. It's almost the exact same deal. Yep. Hmm. It's ironic, actually. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Textbook irony. Love it. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, so we, we get presented with this idea of moral relativism with Everett Mm -hmm. not being a good person. We now, as we're moving along, we start to see Pete and Delmar like where they started as both also not being good people. We now feel a lot more sympathy for them. And the, uh, the movie starts to do this strategically immediately after they're baptized. Um, Whereas like you see them as being like dumb guys that you kind of feel sorry for. They really start to lay it on heavy that Everett is really just taking advantage of them immediately after this. Uh, And Mm. throughout the journey, we start to see this more and more and more. Eventually, Everett does make his way back to his hometown and encounters his uh, his wife and his six children again, his six daughters. Um, And when presented with the idea that his his now divorced wife who who lies to his daughters tells his daughters that he was instead hit by a train 
uh, <laughs> that there's nothing left that he went kablooey. Uh, yeah. All because plenty of decent men have been hit by trains. Uh, <laughs> it's true. I know that first uh, hand. In- instead of having to explain to them uh, that their father was a, not a good person. Um, when Everett is faced with this fact, as well as with that, his ex-wife now has a new suitor, his self-driven nature drives him to attempt to fight this new suitor in the middle of a convenience store in front of his wife and children. He promptly gets his butt kicked (laughs) and is humiliated, uh, leaving the scene with his wife saying that is not my husband. That is just a drifter. Um, Ooh, ain't that a kick in the head? Yep. And it is at this point that Everett reaches kind of his lowest point. Um, He now has no really way forward. And through this, he starts to learn about what it means to need to depend on other people. And through that, caring about other people. Um, At another point, uh, they come across a Ku Klux Klan gathering uh, where their friend uh, Tommy Johnson is going to be hung. Um, The boys all uh, all dress in KKK attire, sneak in and attempt to save their friend. They do so. Uh, And in the process, we we find out that all of these other characters that we've seen throughout this movie are members of the KKK. Uh, Oh, another side plot that's happening throughout this entire thing is that uh, there is this gubernatorial race between the incumbent candidate who is someone who's just kind of like trying to find new ways to present himself. He we are first introduced to him as he is attempting to do a radio spot uh, on this newfangled medium. Uh, <laughs> and we kind of see him just kind of like trying to ride along, not really knowing what to do. Um, on the other hand, we're presented with this other candidate uh, who is the one who seems like they know exactly what they're doing. They He's rallying all of the local people. He is getting his uh, Everett's daughters to come and sing gospel songs for the local group, mm-hmm. presenting this whole image and idea that he is this godly man who can come and save the town. Um, yeah. Presenting himself as the town's savior, much like how Everett was doing himself. Um, we find out at this KKK gathering that this new mayor, this uh, this one who is presenting himself as a savior alongside of John Goodman's character, the Bible salesman are all members of the KKK. Uh, Wolf. Yep. <laughs> it's like, how do you balance that out? Yeah. And it's, know. and it's through this process that we really start to see the whole idea of moral relativism. We see mm-hmm. this small gaining character by Everett um, is amplified a million times over because it's immediately compared to this overarching evil that is the KKK. Yeah, um, so it's like, yeah, you thought Everett was a bad guy before, but then he got the shit kicked out of him and his family disowned him. So now he's like poor little puppy. And also <laughs> him in comparison to the KKK, you're like, oh, OK, he's not OK. Well, yeah. Yeah. And he's it's like bad. A, like he's selfish. He's an asshole, but he's not the KKK. So. Right. And yeah. it's, a, it's alongside his efforts to also save their friend Tommy Johnson, where this is this uh, empathy that you have for Everett is kind of kicked into kicked into top notch. You know, I have a a relative reference if we can go on a bit of a a branch off real quick. Uh, Recently, Marvel released a new series on Disney Plus called Loki, Mm -hmm. all about the trickster god. Um, Loki is a great example of relative morality, because Mm -hmm. if you're talking about the first Avengers movie, Loki is the worst guy. Like the oh, yeah. the bad, the big bad, bad as it gets, like bringing aliens to Earth, like destroying New York City. He's as bad as it gets. But later mm-hmm. on down the line, when we meet like Thanos and like Thanos is the big bad evil guy, you're like, oh, Loki's kind of cute. He's mm-hmm. he's just a little trickster. He's just a little especially, trickster guy. Just a little. Especially with the little bits of interaction you get with him in like Ragnarok. Yeah. As you like learn more and then he is immediately compared to this like greater evil. And Mm. in the series Loki that they just released, they have to like cover that in one episode. So they use like almost this exact argument where they're like, yeah, you were big and bad. But then 
Thanos comes and you're not big and bad anymore. So I don't know what you're trying to like lead up to. Yeah. And moral relativism is a concept that you're going to see used in pretty much any piece of entertainment where mm-hmm. they are wanting the uh, the bad guy to work with either the good guy or become the good guy. It's mm-hmm. a very easy way to trick like the human mind into thinking, oh, like he's not actually that bad. Yeah. yeah, that's something that I see a lot like in entertainment that I watch is that there's the bad guy and you know they're supposed to be the bad guy, but they start talking in a way that makes a lot of sense to you. Mm-hmm. And you're like, <laughs> by the end of the movie, you're like, am I the bad guy? Because <laughs> what they were saying made a lot of sense. I, don't I feel know. like no. that's something different. It is, Nick. What we're say. talking about is like, so like take for instance in the second Deadpool um, mm-hmm. when introduced to Cable and when Cable first shows up he's like trying to kill Deadpool and like doing all this evil shit and you're like oh Cable's a bad dude but then mm-hmm. by the end of the movie he actually has to partner up with Deadpool to defeat this like chaos kid who like is going to grow up and like be like this huge like apocalyptic dude mm-hmm. um, and to make that switch there has to be a moment where like First off, he sits down and talks with our protagonist, who in this case is Deadpool, and they mm-hmm. reach some sort of an understanding, and then immediately we are introduced to our hero and the previous villain now interacting with the true villain and realizing, in comparison to this true villain, what we thought was the main villain in Cable actually wasn't that bad of a guy, and he had the reasons to do it. And yep. for that reason, his moral... His, his morality, in our eyes, is relative to the situation that he was put in. Relative yeah. morality. And a lot of the okay. times, too, it's used as a way to justify, like, the good guy doing what would be considered, like, a bad act. Like, Cable, as another okay. example, comes back to kill a child. Yeah, but, but he's doing it because... <laughs> not good. <laughs> he's doing it because the child that he's killing grows up to, like, cause the giant apocalypse that ends up killing his wife and daughter. Yep. Like, exactly. It's, it's the equivalent of, like... Are you morally hey, guess what we're about to talk about? Are you morally baby wrong? No, are you morally wrong for going back in time to kill baby Hitler? Because That's at the time he was just a baby. If you showed up in a time machine and you shot this baby in his crib, like the news isn't gonna be about Hitler. They're gonna talk about that one guy who showed up in a magic box and shot a baby. Like that's <laughs> yep. your your relative morality at that point is very poor. Yep. Because no one knows that he's gonna grow up to be Hitler. Mm-hmm. He could have been an art student. Who knows? We should have a Hitler count in our podcast. Oh We're no! Up to five now. <laughs> Nick, make a graphic. Bing. <laughs> make a graphic. <laughs> what are we talking um, about? <laughs> oh, brother, where art thou? Yeah, let's get back to that. <laughs> so oh, they save their friend, and uh, they something we actually didn't talk about was like kind of what you're talking, uh, what you mentioned earlier, Alex, was how you knew the movie. They go to a recording studio upon the first time meeting uh, um, uh, Tommy Johnson, and Mm -hmm. they go and they convince the blind uh, person who runs the music studio to let them perform uh, a song for them to earn some money to make their way back to Everett's hometown. We should note that at this point in the movie, he's only looking for African-American artists. He says that they sell better. So yep. they lie to the blind man and they say, no, we're African-American fellas. Like, <laughs> yep. but it's three white dudes standing there. Yeah. So, and that's, that's, think that's important to the plot, but it is funny. So I want to no, talk about so, it. So uh, there's actually like a whole big symbology thing around eyesight in this movie. Because uh, mm-hmm. for, for a movie, like there are multiple characters that have some sort of like vision impairment uh, of some sort. So we've got the, the studio owner who is completely blind. Uh, Mm -hmm. We have um, the sheriff who is chasing them throughout Mississippi from when they escaped the chain gang. He's not blind per se, but he wears uh, hooded sunglasses. So sunglasses with like blinders on the sides that essentially seal against his face. They are Mm -hmm. dark tinted and mirrored. Um, We have the the Bible salesman, uh, John Goodman's character. He is blind in one eye and wears a high batch. Um, the even the dog that accompanies the sheriff is blind, uh, but is used as the tracking dog because it's got a great nose, um, mm-hmm. as well as the prophet that they encountered in the beginning is blind. Um, eyesight tends to mean a few different things. 
Uh, it means some sort of either insight into the world or lack of insight. We have mm-hmm. the uh, the prophet who is completely blind, but is able to see the world for what it really is and attempts to relay that to this group of characters. We've got on the opposite end, the studio owner who um, is completely blind. And because of that, uh, it represents his ability to be fooled or like his inability to see the world correctly. Uh, he just takes Everett at his word. Um, and along with that, we have the uh, let's talk about John Goodman's character, the Bible salesman, uh, blind in one eye. He is only able to see the world for what for the bad of what it is, uh, mm. whether or not he chooses to see it that way or that's just how he experiences it. Uh, I also like the symbolism of the other guy who you had talked about with the like deep set frames. Yep. It's like he sh- he chooses to be blind about things because he chooses to blind himself by putting these on. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he represents kind of blind justice throughout this. He yeah. represents kind of the lack of moral relativism. Because there's our, a choice to take those glasses off and see the world, but mm-hmm. instead he chooses to stay blind and just judge what's right in front of him. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. He he chooses to ignore the relativism in the world that is around him, only judging for what he can directly see. Um, and so it's even after this whole hero's journey where we see Everett turn into a changed man, someone who is by the end of things able to feel for his part for his uh, companions, someone who goes out of his way to do good. Uh, it doesn't matter to the sheriff. The sheriff still at the end of the movie after uh, everything that they go through uh, after uh, Everett is able to be reunited with his wife and daughters, um, his wife I- I- agreeing to marry Everett uh, if he's able to find their original wedding ring, which was the original treasure that Everett talked about to the other uh, to Pete and Delmar. did she like throw it in the lake? It was at their cabin, which uh, was right by the lake, essentially. Um, I see. And so it is upon this where Everett and the boys go to this cabin to try and find the ring where the sheriff finds them and attempts to uh, hang them right there. And keep in mind, um, this is after the whole KKK fiasco. Uh, Before this, they are uh, they actually are able to root out this in the uh, non-incumbent gubernatorial candidate. Um, Mm -hmm. He essentially exposes himself to everyone in the town for the racist that he truly is. Um, Oh, and he's driven. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be better that he exposes himself as a racist. But my brain was like, oh, he exposes himself. Disgusting. And then you said as a racist. I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) But it's not, is it? Yeah. It's not okay. okay. (laughs) So uh, uh, I kind of skipped over a few things. So I'll cover that real quick. Um, Okay. So when they went back to that recording studio to film uh, or to record that song, they they recorded uh, I'm a man like man of constant sorrow, which isn't it's a a banger. Um, Oh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> I was just listening to our I was just listening to our Disney episode the other day yep. where we like say banger like 25 times. Yeah. Sorry. Banger. <laughs> it's um, just crazy hearing you say that after listening to that episode. <laughs> but they, they record it and it goes incredibly well. They get the pittance of money that they are given for just recording the song and it turning out really well. Um, mm-hmm. Unbeknownst to them throughout this entire movie, the song becomes a hit. Uh, and everybody knows it and loves it um, and thinks that it was recorded by three African-American gentlemen Four, four, Yeah, four. Uh, uh, they go by the name, the soggy bottom boys. Uh, yes. And Ew. once they're back in town, that after should have been what we called the podcast. I know <laughs> the soggy, <laughs> soggy bottom, bottom podcast. <laughs> oh my God. Right. But, it, but it's after uh, foiling this, uh, th- these acts by the KKK that they make their way back to town. And uh, for a, an event that is being put on for the gubernatorial race, they go up and they sing their song as a way to, distract the crowd but it ends up turning out everybody already knows the song uh Mm -hmm. everybody then in turn loves all of them uh the mayor who is part of the kkk then yells out that he recognizes them he's the one who spoiled their fun at the kkk and orders for them to be arrested for the damages that they caused 
It's through that the whole town finds out he's a racist and they drive him out of town, leaving the uh, incumbent uh, candidate as the sole uh, as the sole member, as the sole person running for office. But nobody says anything about the fact that these three singers were also at the KKK thing. <laughs> like they're like, oh, I know these guys. They were at the KKK thing. Everybody was like, that means you were at the KKK thing, snitch. And then they run him out of town and then they never talk about the fact that the other three guys were still definitely there. Well, yeah, because the whole thing is like, oh, you you stopped the KKK thing. Good for you guys. Relative yeah. morality. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Um, And it's through this because they drive out the other candidate. The incumbent gives uh, all three of the boy or all four of the boys uh, a uh, a full pardon for any of their crimes Mm -hmm. that they have committed. Um, Wow. And so it's after this, they go to the cabin to find the ring and the sheriff finds them and still attempts to hang them. Um, Even though like they've been pardoned. Yep. Because in his in his blind eyes. In his blind eyes of justice, it doesn't matter if they're pardoned or not. They still committed crimes and deserve death. Mm, yeah. Uh, it is through this that Everett, for the first time, uh, falls to his knees and prays. Uh, he prays to God, asking for some sort of uh, some sort of safety, some sort intervention, of intervention, intervention. And this is the first time some that we see Everett look for Machina. He's looking for that. Yeah. And it's through this that this yeah. is the first time that we see really try and look for something other than himself to save him. Um, immediately after this, the lake uh, that thereby floods for inexplicable reason, uh, not just <laughs> oh. like a small flood it is a rushing tide of water that wipes everything away. Um, oh, you know why that is? I can explain it. Sure. I got this. My hand is raised. Okay. So, um, <laughs> you know, the great depression, right? You had FDR. Mm-hmm. And he Are you going to talk about the Dust Bowl? Thing. No. Uh, this is oh, something okay. called the Tennessee Valley Authority. Ooh. Wherein they built dams and they flooded a lot of places that are in valleys to make cheap hydroelectric power for, you know, the country. So it was a public works project. And uh, there's a lot of towns that are at the bottom of lakes, especially around here and down in Tennessee, especially that are just completely underwater and lost to the maps of history. So, huh? That's probably why. The yeah, there's, there's that like makes a sense. whole. There's a whole ass city under like Red River Gorge, isn't there? Yep, or something like that. Yep, because they dammed off these gorges, and then what was behind the dam obviously has to hold water somehow. So, it's probably a town. <laughs> yeah, cares, no, that makes man? sense because like the tre- <laughs> he he says at the beginning the treasure is below the lake is buried under the lake. Uh, They probably dammed up the lake uh, uh, more upriver, leaving the rest of this land now exposed. And that would make sense because that would mean his cabin was at the bottom of this lake. Now they're able to get to it. Dam breaks. It's flooded. Um, Yeah, that makes sense. We did it. We got there. We used the new guys. Look Um, at us. (laughs) Wow. We solved the mystery. We're like a whole ass (gasps) podcast now. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but to kind of throw things back to earlier in the movie, we saw that once um, Pete and Delmar saw their opportunity to be saved through means of baptism, they were they were so. And it's from that point on, like we said before, they we see them in a new light. They we see them as more uh, because of moral relativism. We see them as being better people. We see them as actually mm-hmm. being good people. Now it is after this point where. Um, Everett gets his own form of baptism through yeah. the water rushing through and over him. I uh, love that. Oh, wow. That's yeah, a nice symbolism. That. It's really good. And this entire time that this is happening, there is like uh, acapella, like soul music uh, by these deep, like raspy voices going on in the background. And oh boy, do you just feel it in your soul? Uh, mm. But it's after this, everything is wiped away. Everett is able to find the ring that he was looking for. uh, And he's able to bring it back to his wife. Uh, And it's through this that this interaction with him and his wife that we see him as for the grown person that he truly is. He has gone through the entirety of the hero's journey, including even divine action. Uh, Yeah. And redemption is really the biggest like as much as we want to talk about like the moral relativism as like a tool 
the real meat of the story here is redemption in both the Odyssey and O Brother Where Art Thou. Uh, mm-hmm. Even at the end of it, in both the Odyssey and uh, O Brother, uh, the main characters, we still don't see them as necessarily good people, but we see them as changed. We see them as improving upon themselves, making some sort of change due to the circumstances that they have been presented with. Uh, and that's something that I have personally um personally been trying to deal with uh especially in like this last really like week or so um to kind of fill everyone in on like what happened and why i was absent last week um monday on memorial day my small dog nala uh we took her and my other dog mochi to a dog park uh there nala was attacked by a great dane um it i was standing right there over her when it happened uh and in that process i ended up injuring my hand trying to save her um immediately after this uh fortunately i was able to wrestle nala from its mouth but unfortunately the next morning she passed away um and one of the things i've really struggled with this last week um especially like the night she died i laid in bed sobbing uh, because i i couldn't save her Um, I stood over her as her protector and I wasn't able to save her. Um, it, the thing that I've really experienced this last week is that, um, life is made up of small heroes journeys. Um, we experience small individual, uh, events and we choose how to change because of them. Um, typically like how I would react to something like this in the past is that I would grow cold. I'd close myself off from the world and I would try and deal with this all by myself. Um, but through what in my mind, I'm not a religious person, but I'm still going to call it divine action, um, or divine circumstance. I have had incredible people around me to help me get through this along with my girlfriend. We've both had fantastic people right by our sides um, to help us through this entire thing. And it's through this small little hero's journey that we've experienced that we both have come out changed people. Um, We both now it's so much easier for us to recognize the, the wonderful people around us to not want to close ourselves off, to open ourselves up, to be emotionally vulnerable, um, to open ourselves up for other people to step in and allow us to heal. Um, and that's something that I think these two, this book and this movie both highlight so incredibly well, even if it is in a very light or lighthearted way. Um, And it's something that I really felt connected to and wanted to talk about. And I really, I thank you guys so much for listening. Yeah, there's one of them. (laughs) There's, there's Mochi. Um, Good old Mochi. (laughs) She, one of the biggest, best parts about it, about everything through this is that Mochi has, she, she's an empath to the, (laughs) to the core of her soul, whatever Jade or I are sad or feeling emotional in any way. She's right by our side to cheer us up, just like how mm-hmm. all of you guys are and like our friends and family. Um, <laughs> Damn, dog. Uh, you have me over here crying. <laughs> I'm, it's, there's, there's I'm, now, I'm trying to now, hold it back. <laughs> there's not video evidence of me crying, which is just so great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I'm sitting here uh, trying to hold him back. I'm letting my eyes get real red and watery but uh, yeah keeping it back so far um she can tell (laughs) yeah (laughs) um but yeah so that's really why i wanted to talk about all this stuff um i it's just felt so important for me to kind of relay the 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 life experience i've had this last week and a half um and just try and use it for to present some sort of positive message to relay the positive emotions and thoughts that i have been able to kind of feel throughout this really traumatic and negative experience and turn it into something good. I think that that speaks volumes as to like what our 
core mission is on this podcast, which is like taking these things in entertainment and like putting them in a different light. Um, but at the end of the day, like everything that we talk about on this podcast comes from this like deep place within us. Um, and entertainment is just beautiful in that way that you can find like salvation in a movie that's at its at its front just like a funny movie about three goofballs but at the end of the day it means so much um and michael you mean so much to us <laughs> and I, I can't put into words how much like you guys and family and friend like everyone has been for us it's yeah very eye-opening i think just like you said it's all about the hero's journey that you go on and uh, one of those steps is like rock bottom in the hero's journey but yeah but that's the thing is it it never ends there that's always like the midpoint yep. and you always reach that that prospect again uh the final step in the hero's journey is actually returning home yeah. uh with with new uh knowledge learned and we can see that in brother where art thou but also in your experience yeah absolutely yeah rock bottom doesn't last huge. forever i mean you always you always bounce back from it and how high you bounce is like half the battle. So I think just showing up this week is like, that says something about you, you know? Yeah. Like here's this, here's this horrible event. And then here you are the next week. You're right. You're right back at it. So, I mean, that's, yep. that's fortitude if anything else. It's, it's For sure. kind of like what we're, what I said before, it's the returning home with new knowledge or new, a new aspect of yourself. That's all about from what I've experienced is how you choose to react to everything you just went through. Um, yeah, man. And I, I'm resolved from how I used to be to keep myself open, uh, especially to you all. That's really awesome. I love that. We're glad you're here. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go ahead and cut to promos so that we can have time to cry. When we come back, uh, I believe Nick will be doing a quick this. So we'll be right back. Good luck. Jamie. Hey, Brian. What do Robin Hood, Vlad the Impaler, and Mothman have in common? IDK, what? Well, they're all topics on our podcast, Mystery, where each week we discuss a new myth and the history behind it. That's Myth Story with an IE. See you then. Oh. Hey, we're back. Hello. <laughs> we're good because we got to listen <laughs> yeah. to Myth Story, and that makes it I'm so, so much happy better. And actually, now. it's the carpool shenanigans that gets you pumped up. If oh I'm yeah, honest. you're right. <laughs> uh, hey, Mike. Hey, Michael. Hey, Alex. <laughs> hey, what does uh, me and you have in common? Uh, uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> We both like to howl. We both we both just cried, but now yeah. Nick's gonna Nick's gonna take over <laughs> with his uh quick this. Uh, Thanks, guys. Your absolute least favorite thing, following up on emotional conversation. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, no! what, do you, what do you do? What do you do? I reset like, the timer and I tell you that your time is about to start. Okay. Can I get like a ready? Super Mario Brothers like uh beep beep beep? I can hear it in my head. Just just start the damn timer. Okay. Just start it. Start. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> this is going against many, your time, sir. I know. As many of you know, I'm a fairly boring person, and it's rare for me to to cut loose, show emotion, uh, go go crazy in many regards. But go that's crazy, go in the crazy, shows. go stupid, go stupid. That's reflected in the shows I watch too. Um, you know, there's this old house, there's documentaries to name a few of my personal favorites, but there's one show <laughs> that I enjoy immensely and it's God, not you, one you'd expect me to enjoy. You complete this called, trio so well. Oh, it's wonderful. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's called Go the Eric Andre show. 
No yeah, way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What? Are you kidding me? You no. let up by saying, I watch boring shows. I'm a boring man. One of my favorite shows, the fucking <laughs> Eric Andre show. Are you I nuts? I love the Eric Andre show. <laughs> I've watched every it's, episode. Let's go. I have. It's a topic of my quick list today. That's why I'm here talking about it. But um, Me too. Let's go. So, <laughs> so let's get one thing out of the way. These... Uh, these late night talk shows you've heard of have gotten formulaic to the point of that they're just boring to watch, in my opinion. And there's a reason for that, but I probably don't watch these shows enough to even know. And it's on past my bedtime, so I don't have time to research it. But basically, you got a dude behind a desk and he interviews people that sit in the chair next to his desk. We've seen this approach used ever since the very dawn of television. And the Eric Andre show takes this stereotypical late night, late night host shtick and completely destroys it. Like, seriously, he begins every show by destroying his set, and it's kind of an ongoing gag. And if you're thinking at this point, seriously, Nick, that's what you're going to find funny about this show and is the senseless destruction of physical property? We're on to your horses, because that's just how the typical show starts. In contrast between what you might expect and what actually happens is the really comedic cornerstone of the show. It's the fact why scientists maybe think that's why we laugh in the first place, but who knows? Um... You have this presumption of a late night talk show and what happens within completely surprises you. Now, this is not to say that this is breaking any molds or anything or going into unfamiliar territory because it still has those beloved celebrity interviews. And frankly, this comedy genre is pretty much par for the course for anything on Adult Swim. Mm -hmm. Um, As detailed kind of in my dark humor episode, I often find joy in the sheer shock value of things. For instance, there's an ongoing bit in season four where Eric will be interviewing a celebrity and pull out a picture of a naked African-American man with Barack Obama's face photoshopped on display with his penis out and show it to the guests. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, can we say that word? <laughs> I think so. Obama? I'll loop it out. Um, the guest then proceeds to react as any normal human being would. And to me, that's kind of like textbook surrealism. It's meant to be absurd. Uh, you wouldn't expect a Jimmy Kimmel or someone to come out one day completely naked and then sit behind the desk, whereas Eric Andre just doing that gets glorious reactions from the people he's interviewing. So I suppose you could call it trolling, but uh, to me, it's kind of funny, okay? And beyond the interview segments, there are sketch comedy bits thrown into the mix as well. You get uh, man-on-the-street type of interviews with uh, weird people in this show, and you get to understand the true meaning of bird up. And you'll come away with a new appreciation of maybe Sprite or ranch dressing, but there's so many other bits that you really don't think you needed in your life, but you'll be happy to know that you've watched the show and you've experienced them. And if I haven't already convinced you to check out the show, people have compared this to an Andy Kaufman act. That's yeah, it's a little it's a little callback for you guys there. If you guys haven't listened to our Andy Kaufman episode where we compare him to the performance of Jim Carrey <laughs> playing him, then you should go check that out. Thank you and good night. <laughs> that's good, Eric. Uh, that's good NPR um, impression thing. But anyways, Eric Andre embraces the postmodern irony that envelops all of us in this internet age and shows the absurdity of American politics, too, through this satire and mimicry. And it, it may be a little nihilistic, but oftentimes, as I've said before, comedians often paint the line between tragedy and comedy very thin. This is one of those times when the line is as thin as you can probably get it. So go check out the Eric Andre show. It's on Hulu and Adult Swim now. So go check it out, huh? Eric Andre is one of those uh it's it's one of those topics in entertainment that I wanted to do an entire episode on. And I'm glad you that you did a quick this, but I still want to do an entire episode oh, yeah. on it. Please do. Uh, because there's there's so much <laughs> weird shit that I know. Like they hired uh, celebrity lookalikes for the first season so that they could yep. use those clips <laughs> to convince other celebrities that real celebrities were on his show. <laughs> that way they would agree to come onto his show. He did some nuts stuff, or like he the fact some that crazy they shit. they constantly well at, at the beginning it was an accident, but they constantly keep the uh, studio at like 98 degrees yep. inside <laughs> so that it's so hot that like the guests just walk in and feel uncomfortable you can see it um, in their faces they're all like covered in sweat they're like <laughs> <laughs> one of one of the people who came on who knew about eric andre was um what's the guy's name 
Jack uh, Black? It's no, it's not Chance the Rapper. It's the other guy who's also a rapper and young, and he wears Tyler a hat. Tyler the Creator. Tyler the Creator came on. Oh yeah. And how did I know? If, that? Come on, guys. <laughs> if you if you know Tyler the Creator, like Tyler the Creator is the yes and guy of Hollywood. Like he he's pretty believes, crazy. <laughs> he believes he's the weirdest, so he won't let anyone out weird him. Uh, like yeah. even yep. in interviews with like Nardwar, he wouldn't let Nardwar out weird him. To the point where they stood like statues for like an hour uh, when he came on the show um <laughs> he was like straight laced never drank never did drugs and eric tried to convince him to do lsd because he said it would be awesome for the show like he spent like a good three hours trying to talk this kid into like drinking more and like getting more drunk and like <laughs> smoking weed like dude come on just do lsd with me like let's do shrooms and do this show it'll be awesome like eric is fucking chaos incarnate and i live oh, for I it i love it I love a little chaos in my life. That's right. It is the spice in which you sprinkle on the bland rice that lies below. It is this this spice of life, yes? Yes. Um, Guys, I think that's it for us this week. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's been a really (laughs) great episode. We did it again. We came back another week. We talked to y'all for another hour. Well, there's the Kentucky Uh, y'all. There it is. Found it. (laughs) We talked to you guys for an hour. Uh, That's like our whole job. So we did it. Now we get paid. And on that note, I think we're going to head out of here. We don't get paid. (laughs) Not yet, but maybe someday. Uh, With all that being said, if you have something that you want to see us cover on the show, maybe something that means equally as much to you uh, as this meant to Michael uh, or Eric Andre meant to Nick, then hit us (laughs) up. There's a couple of easy ways that you can do that. Um, you can hit us up. You can email us. Uh, we are entertain this podcast at gmail.com. You can send us uh, suggestions there and even easier ways to go to our website. It's www.entertainthis.net. If you scroll all the way to the bottom of the homepage, there's a questionnaire you can fill out. You can send us your suggestions that way. Uh, makes it a lot easier. But there are a, num- a number of other ways that you can connect with us. And that includes you can follow us on Twitter. We are entertain underscore this on Instagram. We are entertain this podcast. You can also uh, subscribe to us on YouTube if you want to see all of our video episodes all of our visual gags that we so often do as we forget that we are an audio medium just look up entertain this with the three dots you'll find our logo our brandings so recognizable with us at this point like you'll know us when you see us Mm -hmm. um other than that we just hope you guys have a great week we thank you again for joining us and we'll see you again next friday see ya bye bark Oh, hey guys, I didn't see you there. Uh, so you remember how at the beginning I was like, I didn't forget anything. Um, I forgot to do our sign off. So, entertain us so we can entertain you, and you can entertain this. Thanks. This episode of Entertain This was written by Michael Savoya, with additional commentary from Alex Steele and Nick Mustakangas. Our showrunner and resident fact-checker is Chloe Price. Our theme music is Rushable by Aaron Spencer, with additional interstitial music by DJW. Tune in every Friday for new episodes, and thanks for listening.